During the course of this six-week series, which we started last week, we looked at suffering in the world and the problem of evil and that intellectual problem that we face with, with evil being present, though we have a good, good God. This morning, we're going to talk about choosing faith in the midst of suffering. Next week, we'll talk about feelings are real. We'll look at some of the feelings that Job had and how that they, that's how he felt. And it's okay to feel different things as long as we keep our focus on our God. Then we'll look at the bad counsel that Job received. Three of his friends would come to him to share with him, and we'll see the arguments that they give to him, and we'll see where they go wrong in those arguments. And then we will look at how to respond to God in the midst of God speaking to us through the evil and through the troubles that come into our lives. And then we'll look at Job's restoration. The entire book of Job is a discussion of the reasons why mankind endures suffering, and especially when we are suffering and we don't think that we deserve the suffering that we are enduring. The overwhelming majority of Christians who suffer a significant doubt in their faith do so because of pain or suffering that has come into their lives. And Job is the book that speaks to that pain and to that suffering. So again this morning, we're going to read a lengthy portion of God's Word from Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I've asked members of the Rosa family to come and to read the passage for us this morning. So follow along in your copy of the Scriptures as they read for us Job chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 10. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold all that he has in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. 
Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck them down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered, and the Lord said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery from which, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Rosas, for reading that for us this morning. Three years ago, I was able to travel into mainland China and there to minister to a group of church leaders. And while we were there uh, ministering, there was a break in which they were uh, singing. And I I showed this little clip uh, three years ago, but I want to show it again this morning. Rejoicing and praising the Lord. And yet pretty much everybody in that room 
has suffered persecution of some type for their faith. If you noticed in the lower right-hand corner, there was a man there that was wearing a hat. He shared with us his story of how many times he was beaten over and over again, how he was given a concussion in the beatings, and what was his crime? He was sharing the gospel with people who did not know Jesus. He was trying to go into another province to share the gospel, the the good news of salvation. But in spite of their suffering, in spite of their persecution, we have seen it year after year as we have gone, the joy that they possess. And even as they sing their songs, they will sing their songs of saying, we, are, we know that we are going back, we are going to suffer persecution, we are going to be beaten, Lord, help us to be faithful to you. In the face of evil, in the face of persecution, in the face of attacks by Satan, they remain faithful and joyful in their praise. Uh, Pastor Bruce and I have talked about, we wish that when they are singing and we hear them singing, that we could somehow bottle that up and bring it back with us to Maranatha Bible Church so that we could all participate in the joy that they feel, the joy in spite of suffering. Well, this morning we are going to look once again at Job. And some of this is going to be a repeat of some of the points that we made last week, but I think it's important that we be reminded of how we are to respond in the face of evil. So as we have seen in the reading of the Scripture and from our examination of it, anything that Satan wants to do to us must first of all pass through the approval of God. Satan is not all-powerful. Sometimes we get the idea that we have two equal beings battling with one another. Satan is not the equal of God. In no way is he as powerful as our omnipotent God. Now, that's what causes us often to struggle with this question of evil because we know that we serve a God who is all good and a God who is all powerful and he could stop any evil from happening. We also know that one day he will. But we also have to come to grips with that though Satan's desire is to destroy us, God allows things to happen to us for reasons that we may never understand. We may not understand them here on earth, and we may not even understand them all throughout eternity. We will know more when we are in the presence of the Lord, but we need to remember even when we're in the presence of the Lord, we're not going to be omniscient and know everything. But God has a plan that he is working out. So as we see what's happening to Job, I want us to see, first of all, Satan's slander. Now, this name, Satan, occurs six times in the Old Testament. Uh, The word means to oppose, to accuse. 
it carries the idea of showing animosity toward someone. To hold a grudge against someone. Have you ever held a grudge against someone? Have you ever had someone hold a grudge against you? Have you ever had anyone treat you with animosity? Satan treats Christians in particular, and even mankind in general, with animosity, and he has a grudge against us. The reason he has a grudge against us is because we've been created in the image of God. Satan hates God, and so therefore he hates man because man was created in his image. And Satan is more than just an enemy. Though he is our enemy, it goes beyond that. He has a chip on his shoulder toward you and toward me, toward anyone who's put their faith and trust in God. So we have Satan, the one who accuses, the one who opposes us. And notice his slander toward Job. First of all, he slanders Job in saying, Job fears you because you protect him. We see that in chapter 1, verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Of course Job is going to praise you. Of course Job is going to fear you. Of course Job is going to serve you. You've built a hedge around him. None of my emissaries can get near Job. I can't get near to him. No one can do any harm to Job because of the hedge that you have built around him. And that's the only reason that Job serves you is because you protect him. Secondly, he slanders Job when he says, Job fears you because you bless him. See that also in verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. You've blessed Job in everything he does, everything he sets his hand to. You keep blessing him and blessing him. You give him more and more. You know, the book opened with all the possessions that Job had. That would have made Job probably the richest man in the region in which he lived. And he's acquiring more and more wealth, more and more possessions. And Satan says to God, of course he fears you. Who wouldn't as long as you bless and bless and bless and bless and don't let anything bad happen to him? And then he slanders Job over in chapter 2. Uh-huh saying, Job serves you and fears you because you provide good health to him. Notice he says in verse 4, uh, Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Skin for skin. All that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Yeah, I know that Job's passed the test of losing his possessions, but it hasn't touched him physically yet. You let me touch Job physically, 
and he will curse you to your face. So Job, this righteous man who is held on to his integrity, has been slandered by Satan. That should never surprise us. Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. Whenever he speaks, he's lying. The next thing that I want us to see is Job's loss. In chapter 1, in verses 13 to 17, he loses his possessions. You were listening to the scripture being read. Did you hear how messenger after messenger after messenger comes? And it's all on the same day, one after another, until he has lost all of his possessions, all of them taken away. Next, he loses his family. In verses 18 and 19, we have the story of the wind coming. A tornado came and struck the house where Job's ten children were. And he loses all ten of his children on the same day. The same day that he's lost all of his possessions. His family is gone. Then in chapter 2, we see that he loses his health. In verses 7 and 8, we see that Satan touches him and he breaks out in, in boils all over his body from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And he's itching everywhere. And it itches so badly that he takes, his, takes a piece of broken pottery and he just scrapes it over his skin trying to get some relief from the itch. Have you ever had an itch before? An itch that doesn't seem like it's going to go away? Uh, how does that affect you? This is happening with Job. He's lost his health. And then he loses his wife's support. His most important relationship on the earth is that which his wife, and he loses that because she's had enough. And she says in verse 9, do you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? Now, I said last week, and I'm going to repeat again this week, I think we need to give a break to Mrs. Job and not be too hard on her. I think she's speaking out of her emotions. She's speaking out of how she feels. After all, she's lost 10 children in one day. After all, she lost all of her possessions in one day. And now she has seen the health of her husband deteriorate. And with no seeming cause for all of this to happen, she's frustrated. She's filled with grief. And she tells her husband, enough, enough. I've had enough. Shouldn't you have enough too? Just curse God and die. Well, let's look at Job's response. Chapter 1, verse 20, after hearing the news of all his possessions being gone and his ten children being dead, we read, then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and did what? 
He did what? He worships God. He focuses on God and gives praise and worship to him. We go on, verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He blesses God's name. See, Job is demonstrating for us that he loves God more than he loved his possessions. That he loved God more than he even loved his children. And I'm sure that Job loved his children because we see in chapter 1, he made sacrifices for his children in case they may have sinned somehow inadvertently. He is concerned about them. So he loves and cares for his children, but he loves God even more. See, what we have to ask ourselves is the question, In affluent America, with all that we have, all the blessings that have been poured down upon us, do we love the gifts that God has given to us, or do we love the giver of those gifts? See, if we only love God because of the blessings he pours into our lives, when the gifts go away, we turn against God. God. But if we love the giver of the gifts, we will recognize that he can give and he can take away. Those are exactly the words of Job. Matter of fact, it sounds like a song we sing around here. He gives and takes away. So if you don't happen to like the words to that song, you Christian friend, you really have a problem because they come right out of the words of Scripture. That God gives, God takes away, but he blesses the name of God. In Proverbs, we read in chapter 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You can always run to the name of the Lord. You can always call upon the Lord. And those who know God and love God will find refuge in the name of the Lord. He blesses God's name. Next, he holds on to his integrity. In verse 3 of chapter 2, God speaks of Job and says at the end of that verse, he still holds fast his integrity. Satan, even though you slandered him and incited me against him, Job still maintains his integrity. He is a man of character. He maintains a godly perspective. We see in chapter 2, in verse 10, when he says to his wife, he says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? His perspective is we still worship God, in spite of what happens to us. And then in the end of verse 10, we're told, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He did not speak out against God. 
Now, the reality is evil is going to touch all of our lives in some way. We have no idea when that evil could happen. We have no idea how our lives can change in a moment. We could leave this place today and receive a phone call that would totally change the direction of our lives. We could get an email today that would totally change things for us. But we have a God who is still in control. And though evil is going to touch each of our lives, we need to maintain a focus on responding correctly. This morning, I want you to hear the testimony of a lady from our church that evil has touched her life, and I'll let her share with you her story. I'm asking Joan Schaefer to come up and share with us this morning. Good morning. I'm so very grateful to be here with you today. I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank you for praying for me and my family during the past two years. God has heard your sincere and fervent prayers on our behalf, and we believe those prayers have contributed to extending my life. I realize that there are many here today that are facing difficulties in your own life, and I want to encourage you that as my husband Bob and I become aware of your needs, we are praying for you and your family as you have so faithfully prayed for us. On February 22, 2018, in the course of one day, God placed me on a different path. I had been experiencing some abdominal pain. I had already been to two doctors who gave me a clean bill of health. But I knew something was wrong, regardless of what I was being told. So at 9 a.m. on the 22nd, I called my internist to schedule an appointment. There was a cancellation, and she said, why don't you just come in today at 2 by 4 o'clock, I was having a CAT scan, and at 9 o'clock that night, the doctor called me at home to tell me to hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. I was diagnosed with stage 3C epithelial ovarian cancer. This very aggressive cancer had already metastasized, and I had multiple tumors throughout my abdomen with the largest, 11 centimeters. I was quickly scheduled for surgery, and all the cancer visible to the human eye was removed, and I was given a 30% chance of survival. Six months after my diagnosis, a CAT scan revealed the cancer had returned with a vengeance. This time, I was told if I didn't take chemotherapy, I only had weeks to live. I submitted myself to the treatment, and at the end of the chemotherapy in April of 2019, I began taking a daily pill 
called a PARP inhibitor, which is intended to disrupt the cancer's DNA and slow its replication. I will take this medication as long as my body will tolerate it, and the hope is that it will extend my life by some months. I would have never chosen this path, not so much for myself, but because of the pain it has caused my loved ones. But in spite of that, this path has fortified our faith and deepened our love for Jesus. He has safely led us through all things, and when we could not stand, he carried us in his arms. Early in my diagnosis, I didn't ask God why. I asked what. What was he doing, and what did he want me to do? I've asked similar questions of God throughout my life, and I didn't always receive such a definitive answer. But this time, he spoke clearly, and he said, this is our time. This is our window of opportunity. Because of this diagnosis, people will come to you, and you will point them to me, and I will bind up the brokenhearted, and I will set the captives free. I have always known that our experiences are purposeful and that God can use anything for our good and his glory. But when he so graciously reminded me that through my journey, others might be blessed and his character would be displayed in undeniable ways, I felt humbled and honored that he would use me in this way. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I never cried or that I was never afraid or that I didn't experience sadness. But I am going to say that in the midst of the human emotions experienced during this unexpected journey, I have been filled with deep abiding peace, resolute trust in my Father. And although I don't know what each day will bring, I know that God knows, and that is just simply enough for me. I was well prepared for this journey. I knew the character of my father. I've walked with him for 37 years, and I trust him implicitly. He has been a witness to my life, my constant companion. And while our most cherished relationships on earth are bound by human limitations, God is present with us at all times and in every place, and we are never alone. Isaiah 46.4 says, Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you, I have made you, and I will carry you. From the moment of my diagnosis, I have felt as though the Lord has cradled me in his arms. I've been lifted up and held near his heart, and I have been in the blazing fire, but the Lord was there as well. I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course 
and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. I love the Lord. He's my refuge. He is my strength. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my deliverer. He is my shield and my stronghold. And only my Lord can give quietness, peace, rest, and sweet abiding joy in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. My dear friends, so many of you, I have been privileged to do life with you for so many years. I can't imagine my life without you, and I want you to know that God has guarded my heart and my mind, and I have his peace that transcends all understanding. Your love and your prayers have blessed me beyond measure, and it's impossible for me to tell you how God has used you to encourage and support me and my family, not only through this valley experience, but throughout our many years together. I am victoriously living out God's divine purpose for my life. And serving Jesus is a privilege I embrace, regardless of where it takes me. I want to encourage you this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And the character of God is not forfeited in our sufferings, but rather it is in the darkest night that he shines the brightest. Thank you. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verses 16 to 18 the following. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Job fixed his eyes upon God. He would later say in this book that he knew that his Redeemer lived and that he would be with him one day. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. I don't know what you're going through this morning. You may be going through something physically. You may be going through something emotionally may be the loss of a loved one. You may be attacked by evil. You may feel that coming upon you today, or you find yourself in the midst of that battle. As we sing this next song, I want to give you opportunity to come forward, to kneel,
to stand and to just turn things over to God and to just state that you're going to trust him through whatever it may be that's touching your life because you want to honor him and worship him. So as we stand and sing, the front of the church is open for you to come, kneel, stand, and just pour out your heart to God.